Trinity Baptist Church. Listen to this portion of the story of God from the book of Luke. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he inquired of them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He said, Who do you say I am? Peter replied, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priest, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life from me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the angels. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. The The word word of of the the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. We are in, uh, what is this, our third week in Joshua? Man, I can't can't keep up. Um, We are in this series called Taking New Ground where we have been, um, where we're looking at the book of Joshua and Israel's conquest of Canaan and, and we're seeing the implications for us as we take new ground in our lives spiritually, which means um, what are the next steps or, or how do we move forward um, more deeply into this, this life with Christ, this, this abundant life that God has for us. And so we're going we're gonna to look at Israel in a moment. But what I'd like for you to do, I know Beth said that I was going to do something special. I don't know how special this is, but it's, it's different. Um, I want you to turn... And find two or three people that, that you don't know all that well. So if you're sitting next to your spouse, don't do this with your spouse. Do it with somebody else. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Keith. And, and then I want the three or four of you, and don't do more than that, I want you to come up with the top three things that you do to prepare for a trip. Okay? Prioritize them. And I'm going to make it a little bit more difficult. Um, you already know your destination, okay? So the, the first thing can't be decide where to go, all right? You already know where you're going. So what, because you've got your destination on, what are the top three things that you do to prepare to go on a vacation, all right? Who am I? This is who I am. Now, and then you discuss. Ready? Go. Who wants to share number one? Pray. That's the perfect church answer. Okay, before I write this down, did anybody else say pray? Oh, we got it. Anybody else? Several people said pray. I like that. Okay, who else? 
head of number one? Yeah. How you're going to get there. Anybody else come up with how you're going to get there? Just a few folks. All right. We'll put that one down. What's another one? Secure money. Get money. Pack your bags. Okay. Um, between get money and pack your bags, how many had pack your bags as one of your top three? Okay. How many of you had get money as one of your top three? Okay, we're going to go pack your bags. Somebody else have something else? A list of what? Martin, you would do that. He would write down the list and cross stuff off. And, and then me, I just look in the closet and go, I'll take this, this. Okay, um, I think that goes with pack your bags, actually. Research the destination. Okay. All right, we're going to stop there. Unless somebody else has just one that's so compelling. Bring a Bible. See, now we're going back to the church answers, okay? Um, (laughs) Yeah, invite the pastor to come along. Check your documents. Those are the things that we do before we go on vacation. Israel was about to embark upon the trip of a lifetime. And so what I want us to do this morning, as we look at verses 10 through 18, I want us to see what they did. Um, Because I think that it has some importance for us. Um, Turn to Joshua chapter 1, if you haven't already. And, And last week I... I mentioned, I encouraged you to bring your own Bibles because um, you might want to just write in them or underline stuff. And I want to encourage you to do that again or encourage that again. In, at the end of the passage we looked at last week in verse 9, God tells Joshua, uh, in essence, Joshua, I've told you to go take the land, um, so go. He says, don't be afraid, don't delay, go, and I'm going to be with you. And I don't know about you, but if I got this command from God, I might be thinking, you know, Lord, it's been 40 years since we've been at this place. And so so another month or two to get everything in place, you know, to check my documents and to, you know, make my packing list and to research the destiny. You know, Lord, another month or two won't hurt because, you know, it's been 40 years. But that's not what Joshua does. Look at his response in verse 10. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. He doesn't delay. He immediately calls the leaders of the nation to action and he gives them a command um, to get the people ready. He doesn't gather them together to, to get their advice. He doesn't get them together to get counsel from them. He says, no, 
gentlemen, here's what we're going to do. Why does he do that? Because Joshua had the command from God. In verse 2, God says, Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. You see, the first thing Joshua did was, before they went on this trip, is Joshua acts in faith on the Word of God. Joshua steps out in faith. Um, I think it, it could kind of go along with, with prayer that, that Joshua is in conversation with God and God gives him a definitive word. And when God gives you a definitive word, you don't have to get counsel. Right? If you know that God is telling you to do something, you don't have to get the opinion of everybody else. What happened to the nation 40 years prior when they were in the very same place in Kadesh Barnea? 40 years prior, they had been there, and what did they do? They got 10 spies to go, or 12 spies to go in and spy out the land, and they came back and got the report, and they took a vote, and they got the majority, they took the majority vote, and the majority people said, no, we can't do it, and they said, okay, we won't. Did they have the command of God 40 years prior? Yes, they did. And if they had not done what we often do, they would have spared themselves 40 years of difficulty in the wilderness. If they had done what Joshua did at this point, I have the definitive word of God, so I'm going to act on it. If they had done that, they would have spared themselves a whole lot of pain. Um, verse 11, Joshua tells the, the officers to tell the people to get their spies ready or get their supplies ready because in three days they're going to go in. In chapter 3, we're going to see that the Jordan is at flood stage while they're there because this is harvest time. You know, I, in our way of thinking, we probably would have done kind of what we did this morning, you know. Let's, let's get some focus groups together and talk about river crossings, right? Or, you know, let's get, the, let's get the pontoon guys ready and deployed so that they can build bridges across. Or let's get the boat builders going. We would have come up with all the things that we, you know, made plan. We would have strategized how we're going to do this. But Joshua doesn't do that. Joshua hears the word of the Lord and he says, okay, let's do it. He steps out in faith. Why? Because Joshua had seen God work before. Joshua had been at the Red Sea and seen God part it. And so he's thinking, okay, we're at the Jordan, and it's at flood stage, and I'm not sure how we're getting across, but God's told us to go across, so we're going across. Friends, that's the kind of faith that we need to have. Joshua doesn't need explanation. He simply takes God at his word. He 
He simply believes God and his promises. Um, Do we have that kind of faith? That's the kind of faith that God has called us to that we need if we're going to take new ground, if we're going to move forward in our relationship with him, um, if we're going to make an impact for him in New York City. We have to have that kind of faith for it to happen. I, there have been a few times in my life where I have, I have heard God speak so clearly that it, I didn't need explanation. One of those, I, I came to Trinity in, uh, I started here in March, March 1st of 1992 was my first day. And I came initially as the associate pastor, and I could, some of you have heard the story, uh, but it's, it's a fairly dramatic story of God's call and, and what he did to get us here, and, and it was clearly him, and, and there was nothing that we really orchestrated. It was just God doing it. So we knew God had called us to the city. So we came, and 10 months later, the senior pastor at the time was Gordon McDonald. He resigned to go back to a church that he'd helped found right outside of uh, uh, Boston. And he called me a few days before he was going to tell the congregation that he was resigning. And he said, Keith, I just want you to know that I'm going to resign. And I'm going to ask, the, I'm going to you know, encourage the leadership of the church to, to bring you on as the interim Um, pastor while they look for a new senior pastor. Well, I was terrified. I mean, I was 32 years old. I had never been on a church staff before I came on this one. I, I didn't have a clue how to run a church or how to lead a congregation and all that stuff. I'd just been kind of doing my thing behind the scenes. So I was really nervous for about five minutes. And that's really no exaggeration. Because in those five minutes, after I hung up the phone from Gordon, in those five minutes, God started bringing to my mind all the things that he had done to get me to New York. And that it was, it was his call on my life to be here. And what came next was not um, as significant as what as whether or not I was going to step out in faith on the next thing that he had for me. And so the nervousness went away. And I said, okay, Lord, if this is the next step, I'll take the next step. I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know, you know, if they're going to hire a new guy and I'm going to be hitting the bricks. I don't know. But... Whatever's next, Lord, I'm stepping into it. I can't say that I've always had those kind of definitive words from the Lord, and I can't say that I've always actually acted when I've had definitive words from the Lord. But what I can say is that when I did do it, the Lord was faithful. And the Lord took the anxiety away, and the Lord made a way. And I'm still here. 
The search committee is still looking for a new senior, by the way. Um, a couple of them have died, you know. It's, um, you see, it's not a matter of explanation. It's a matter of faith. It's not a matter of knowing exactly what the next step is going to look like. It's a matter of taking it. Are we going to step out in faith? Um, my question, the question that this raises for me, for us today is, are we going to step out in faith and do what God definitively calls us to? And trust Him um, to take care of that. You say, well, Keith, how can I know definitively what God has called me to? Can I help? There are a few things that we can all know that God has called us to. Um, In the text that was read to us just a moment ago, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever, that includes how many of us in this room? I'm the only one raising my hand. Okay. Whoever, that's all of us, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into his glory, the glory of the Father and the holy angels. From these words of Jesus... What is God's call on you? I think this tells me that his call is that I'm to put his kingdom and his agenda ahead of mine. Are we doing that? If not, why not? We know what his call is. Uh, In Matthew 28, Jesus called his followers to go and make disciples. That includes us. Are we doing that? If not, why not? Peter said that we've been called out of darkness into God's glorious light, that we might make his glory known to the world. Are we doing that? If not, why not? Paul said that we have been called to serve one another. Serve one another in such a way that it it promotes the growth in each other into maturity in Christ, into Christ-likeness. Are we serving each other in that way? If not, why not? In Ephesians 2... Paul said that we are God's workmanship created, um, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God tells us through the Apostle Paul that He's created us for certain good works that He has equipped us for with, with gifts and abilities. Are we doing those good works? 
Do we know what they are? And if we don't know what they are, are we persistently asking God to show them to us? Friends, those are some very specific things that we know are God's will for our life. Are we doing them? And if not, why not? We don't need a committee report on this. We don't need to get a focus group. We have the definitive word of God. The challenge of these verses to me is, am I being faithful to what God has called me to? Or am I procrastinating, thinking, you know, I've been doing it like this for 40 years. I don't need to do it any different. I'll just wait. Or I'll... You know, I need to do a little more reading or I need to talk to some people or I need to, you know, we make excuses all the time. Joshua didn't make excuse. The Lord said, go. And so he turned to the people and he said, we're going. Um, James Boyce wrote in his comment on this passage, he says, the one who has been called by God to a specific work can give nothing else first priority. We need to respond to God's general and to His specific calling in our life. Next thing I want us to notice is that not only did Joshua act in faith, but he he did it the way God wanted him to do it. He didn't just do what God wanted him to do. He did it the way God wanted him to do it. Look at verse 12. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you the rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, which is the country where they presently were. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant, of the Lord gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Joshua turns to these leaders of these two and a half tribes. And he says, gentlemen, I've got some specific instructions for you. The question is, why does he address them specifically? Why does he give them these specific instructions? God had told him just... A few verses earlier said, I don't want you to d- depart to the, you know, veer from to the left or to the right from what I've given you in the word, from what I've given you in the law. And since Joshua was Moses' right-hand man, I'm sure he remembered that somewhere along the way, Moses had said something, you know, 30 years ago or whenever it was to these two and a half tribes. And so he's... He's thumbing back through the scrolls. And he goes, was it in Exodus? You know, uh, you know was it in, in Numbers? No. And he finds this place in Deuteronomy chapter 3. Where Moses is addressing these two and a half tribes. 
And in verse 18, it says, The Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it, but all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of your brother Israelites. However, your wives, your children, and your livestock, I know you have much livestock, may stay in the town I have given you until the Lord gives, gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they too have taken over the land that the Lord is giving to them across the Jordan. After that, each of you may go back to the possession I have given you. What's the point of application for us in this? Friends, this book is not for your coffee table. This is not for decoration. This is not to put on your, you know, bed stand so that you look at it every night before you go to bed. This book is to be read. It is to be studied. It is to be meditated on. It is to be digested so that when the, when the Lord tells you what he wants you to do, you know how he wants you to do it. And I can guarantee you, there's not one area in, of your life that is not covered in here. I guarantee you that. If the Lord is, is giving you something to do, He's giving you direction in this book on how to do it. The challenge is you need to know the book. Now, we could have spent a lot of time last week looking at verses 7 and 8 uh, about meditating and studying and all that stuff. But the point is, Joshua knew that there was something in the scrolls about how he was supposed to take the land. And he remembered it had something to do with these guys. And so he tells these guys, this is how we're going to do it. Friends, do you know how Scripture directs your life? Do you know what the Word says about sexual morality? Do you know what the Scripture says about conflict resolution? Do you know what it says about repentance and, and forgiveness and how to, how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife? Do you know what it says about... Um, taking care of, of your employees if you're a boss or, or respecting your boss if you're an employee. Do you know what it says about all those things? Because they're all in here. If you don't know, you need to know. You need to be in the Scriptures. The promise that God gives Joshua is the promise He gives us. He says to Joshua in verses 7 and 8, he says, if you do these things, you will be successful and prosperous. And friends, if we will live our lives according to what God has said in here, we will be successful and prosperous. Guaranteed. Okay? All right. One last thing. Um, oh, so what's, what's the, uh, 
Not only does he act in faith on the word. What's the bullet? I forgot what my bullet was. Um, um, Thank you. Last thing. Um, Notice the response of the people. Joshua comes to them, says, get ready to go. In three days, we're going. How do you think the people felt? I mean, they've been wandering for 40 years. And as I said last week, you know, if whatever you've been doing for 40 years, what do you call it? Normal, right? You've been doing something for 40 years, day in, day out. It's just normal. They've been living this for 40 years, and Joshua says, we're getting ready to go. Um, Verse 16, then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only, and they're talking back to Joshua, only be strong and courageous. I love this response. These people say, uh, Joshua says, get ready to go. And they say, let's go. We're in. We're all in. Oh, that my family would only respond like this. Um, But alas, um, here's this nation and they don't whine, they don't complain, they don't ask for more time, they don't make excuses. They just say, you're telling us to go, let's go. Can you imagine how powerful a force we would be as a community of faith if we did that with regard to God's words to us? God, you've said it. Okay, let's do it. Can you imagine the the impact we would have within our walls and the impact we would have out there? It would... It would be unbelievable. Um, there's a great line in the George MacDonald novel, The Marquis of Lossie, where one of the characters says, I find the doing of the will of God leaves me no time for disputing about his plan. Friends, when we're busy doing what God has called us to do, we don't have time to squabble over the details. We just go. There's, there's these guys in Luke 9 that say they want to follow Jesus, but they all have an excuse. One says, you know, I need to go and, and tell my family goodbye. And one guy says, I need to go and bury my dad. And, and another guy says, you know, I, I'm ready to go, but I need to, you know, take care of my, my fields first. And Jesus says, look, I don't have a home. Let the dead bury the dead. And anybody who's going to work in my field can't look back. You got to go. I want you to notice the commitment of these folks to Joshua and to each other. Think about the guys from Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They're already in the land. 
They are already in the place that God has promised to give them. Right? They're there. This is my town. And yet, Joshua says, yeah, but you can't stay. you got to help us. you got to help everybody else take, take what God has promised them. And what do they do? They say, we're in. We're committed. Friends, the, the last thing is, um, they put God's agenda agenda above their own. They had nothing personally to gain from it. They were already where God had said, this is home for you. And yet they said, no, we're all in. We take this seriously. And so we're going we're gonna, to, at personal sacrifice, we're going to do what we have to do for the greater good. You see, it was about what God, it was about God's cause more than theirs. Um, they took the, the commitment so seriously, and we're going to see this when we get to chapter 7. There's a guy named Achan who didn't follow um, the word of the Lord through Joshua, and, and he was put to death because he didn't do it. That's how seriously they took this. Friends, do we see following Jesus and, and being committed to the, the, the bigger picture of his plan beyond my own personal well-being? Do we see being that committed to him as a life and death situation? Israel did. That's how committed they were. Um, I got a lot more, but I don't have time. If you're going to take a trip, these are great things to do. If you're going to take new ground, if you're going to take new ground in your life spiritually, you got to do that. You've got to act in faith on the definitive word of God, both his general word and his specific word. You got to do it God's way. You got to know the scriptures well enough that when you are put in a situation, you can say, I know that God wants me to handle it like this. And if you don't know, you dig in and you find out. And third, you put God's agenda ahead of your own. You say, Lord, I'm I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to be committed to your people. And I'm going to do whatever I need to, even at, at the cost of personal sacrifice. I'm going to do what I have to do so that the kingdom advances, so that your cause goes forward. Because it's not about me. It's about you. Friends, 
we need to get to that place where we will say, as the, the writer of Hebrews said, he said, um, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him um, endured the cross, scorning its shame, Keep your eyes fixed on him so that you will not grow weary and be discouraged. Friends, we need to follow the one. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the one who laid his life down for us and we need to have the same kind of commitment to him. And then whatever he says, because he is our leader, we will say, Lord, I will follow you. Let me pray. Lord, um, we are grateful for your grace in our lives. We are grateful that you have given us uh, direction. We are grateful, Lord, that you have given us your word so that we don't have to navigate life in the dark. I pray, Father, that that we would be faithful. Faithful to step out in what we know you've called us to and faithful to to wrestling through and, and discerning in those areas where we're not clear. And faithful, Lord, to put your purposes ahead of our own. I pray that for us as a church. I pray that for us as individuals. Because if we're going to take new ground spiritually in our lives, we have to do these things. I pray that you would enable us for your name's sake. Amen. We're going to come to the table now, and um, if you're visiting with us this morning, we do this every week. There are two stations in the front and two in the back, and this is when we, we, just, we celebrate what Jesus has done to give us life and, and his invitation into the abundant life. And so when you come this morning, if you are a follower of Christ... I want you to just recognize what Jesus did in going to the cross and and taking all of that on for you. And ask him to show you those areas and actually think this through even before you come to the table. But just spend some moments meditating on on those areas where you know God has called you to, to do something that you're not doing. And 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 Ask him for the grace. Ask him for the the strength to to step out in faith on that. Even as he stepped out and went to the cross for you. And after you've had that little, done that business with the Lord, then then I invite you to come to the table and come in groups of two, three, or four. and, And so let's take as community because we're in this together. Amen? Let's come to the table.